0: good evening everyone welcome to the school committee meeting of February, February 8th uh, this is our uh, fourth in a series of four public forums uh, this this um, forum tonight is on our uh, FY 24 budget I'd like to welcome everyone who is here with us in person and those are who are here with us joining online Uh, i'd like to thank milton access tv for hosting this um, hybrid meeting which is is a challenge and we very much appreciate their their help in in making this happen and the council on aging for allowing us to use this this space Um, as i mentioned this is the fourth in our series of of four public forums and the school committee uh, decided last summer um, that we wanted to hold these public forums this year as an opportunity for more community dialogue about the efforts and, and activities around the, the schools, and particularly uh, focus on the pillars of our strategic plan and our budget. So this is uh, the fourth of our forums, and. Um, We have opportunities for people who are here in the room with us to come up to the microphone to speak. For those of you who are joining online, um, you can raise your hand with the raise hand function if you'd like to speak and we'll recognize you um, and um, promote you to speak. Um, So um, I'd like to introduce our presenters uh, for this evening, we are We're a mix of, a real hybrid mix of presenters, and um, uh, tonight in person, we have uh, Dr. Glenn Pavacek, our Assistant Superintendent for Business. Um, Online, we have uh, Interim Superintendent Garth McKinney uh, who is joining us. We have uh, school committee members um, over at that table, uh, Dr. Selena Miranda, Anna Varghese, uh, Betty White, Beverly Ross-Denny, and myself, Ada Rosemarin, and Dr. Lizzie Carroll is joining us online. Uh, We also have three uh, Milton Public Schools staff who are joining us online, will be part of our presentation. Uh, Karen McDavitt, the principal of Glover School, Susan Maselli, the director of Pupil Personnel Services, uh, and Claire Galloway-Jones, the director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and uh, finally we have uh, the wonderful stephanie o'keefe our communications coordinator who will be helping with facilitation for this evening's meeting Um, our presentation will take approximately 30 minutes um, and then we'll allow an additional hour for questions and dialogue Um, so our forum will conclude promptly by 8 30 p.m uh, at which time we want everyone to get back home safely um, and if there are more questions that uh, come up that you think of um, after tonight or don't that we don't get to tonight, please know that you can always email us or um, call us and, and let us know what, what's on your mind. I um, ask people to please keep their comments to a maximum of three minutes to allow as many people as possible have the opportunity to speak this evening um, and ask everyone to maintain a respectful Community discourse um, before we get started, I'm just wondering if, if people in the room can indicate to us if if they if there are people who plan to speak tonight, if you could raise your hand just to get a sense of how many speakers okay, terrific. thank you. and online, um, we have a number. Um, I don't know if it's if like okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. If, if online, if you if you plan to speak, or or if you decide to uh, speak later on, you're you're welcome to uh, raise your hand. Um, so, with with all that, I will pass uh, this over to uh, Dr. Miranda, who is our chair of strategic planning, um, to provide some introductory uh, remarks and, and slides. So, Dr. Miranda.
1: Selina Miranda, and uh, I am a member of the school committee. Um, in front of you, or, or on the presentation, you'll see our overall vision statement, which captures just our ideal—you know, sort of ideal of where we want to be, of, uh, of what we want our school district and our students to achieve. I'm not going to go ahead and read that paragraph for you, but I will tell you that. Uh, you can actually find our strategic plan online and you can uh, review the the vision statement. However, I would like us to move to the next slide, which is our strategic goal. Um, and we went over this at the last forum, but for those of you who haven't uh, perhaps heard it before or are not familiar with our strategic plan, our overall goal is to provide all students with a highly personalized, developmentally appropriate, emotionally safe and equitable balanced daily learning experiences designed to ensure that each student becomes a productive caring and contributing member of society and can achieve his her their post-secondary goals as measured by the analysis of information obtained via the district data cycle. So that is our overall strategic goal that is framing our work from now until 2027. So it's a five-year strategic plan. We're in the first year of implementation. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have enough time to go over how we came to the strategic plan that we have before us, but it was an elaborate process. Up until last year, the spring of last year, we were completing an old strategic plan, and then we needed to create a new vision, a new North Star of where we want to be as a district, And that is a result of many conversations that happened across uh, the district with uh, administration, with staff, with teachers, uh, with parents being involved in in committees, et cetera. So there's a lot of work that happened and how we got here. Um, We can definitely go into greater detail. And I would look to uh, Chair Rosemary to share more about that because she was actually part of that process. Um, Next, please. And as we have discussed before, there are three pillars to the strategic plan, and that is personalized learning, safe and supportive schools, and equity in learning. Um, I would also encourage folks to uh, review our conversations, the the, uh, recordings of the forums, if you weren't able to attend, because we actually went into uh, great detail on each of these pillars to let you know sort of where we are. But I remind you, that we're in year one actually it's the first you know what what, six months of implementation of of this plan so just to think about it that way but in terms of personalized learning what we're talking about is that we're making sure that educators have the tools that they need to meet our students um, you know specific strengths interests and needs of each student to create a unique learning experience for all of our students so that's the focus of that pillar The second pillar which is safe and supportive schools we're talking about actively working together and mostly actually we've heard a lot from the school unit so what does this look like in the schools to make sure that we're fostering a safe positive and healthy and inclusive whole school learning environment so that we can support all of our students holistically in key areas of development and integrate services and align the many student support initiatives that aim to address particular areas of need in our schools. And thirdly, our equity in learning uh, focuses on working to create the conditions in which all of our learners um, can, uh, of all identities and abilities, have the resources and support they need to thrive. Obviously, there's greater detail here, and again, I refer you to the plan uh, if you're interested in, in learning more. Can we go to the next slide, please? And so there's embedded in our plan is a theory of action. And that is that if we make progress against the three key strategic initiatives, that we are gonna see student and staff experiences improving. We are gonna see student performance, which I know we all care about, improving overall, sort of individual student performance. But I I would also uh, point to the fact that we're working towards improving on the aggregate, how our district performs, right? in terms of when we're looking at state data, we wanna make sure that we see progress in the direction that we all care about. And then lastly, making sure that our students are prepared for the future, right? So that if we're doing all of this, that's the idea, that's where we're gonna get to. And now the next slide, Um, here is a list of the many things that have happened already. Um, And again, I don't need to read all of them, um, but you see that uh, most of it is really focusing on implementing uh, sort of we have new math and social studies curriculum uh, that's embedded in differentiation. And when we talk about differentiation, this is what we're meaning in terms of personalized learning, right? Uh, We're analyzing data. So we're looking at the data. The data is driving sort of the work that we're doing. Um, we're also planning instruction together. So, um, and then selected digital platform. Uh, we selected a digital platform as a repository to collect student work. So again, we want to make sure we're using data. So that is happening under personalized learning, under safe and supportive schools. You also have. Uh, we're regularly assessing students' social emotional well being. We want to know how are our students doing. How can we better meet their needs? Um, we created a school-based uh, social and emo- emotional learning goals, and we have actually secured resources to continue to move that work forward. In our equity and learning, which we just heard about two weeks ago, um, we have been able to, we completed a root cost analysis of the district's dis- disproportionality in special education and develop a robust action plan. Uh, We've also um, been able to secure additional resources to continue to to move the work forward, and we recently secured a grant from DESE to be able to uh, recruit a diverse teaching uh, workforce. So
0: that's where we are right now. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Miranda. And uh, Dr. Pavlicek, pass it over to you.
2: Thank you. So... One of the issues this year is in the past year, or in the past two years, there's been a, a substantial amount of federal funding, whether it's ESSER funding from the state or ARPA funding through the federal government or some ARPA funding through uh, that went through the uh, Norfolk County. But there have been different sources of funding to have uh, supported us in different ways. This year, um, fiscal 24, um, we've referred to it as sort of the ARPA cliff. Uh, the, there is a large amount of ARPA funding that is actually dropping off after the current fiscal year we're in um, going into next year. And the positions, and we'll talk about what those positions are in a moment or two, but in order to to maintain the positions we have currently, um, we need to go from between the general fund and the ARPA funding about $59.6 million worth of budget um, resources to about 61.6 or about 2 million dollars additional money to maintain what it is we do now. The problem with that is ARPA is going down by a million dollars. So in order to get 2 million dollars on the budget, you need 3 million dollars from the general fund because we're losing a million dollars worth of ARPA. If you look at it as a whole, the the cost of roughly 2 million dollars is about a 3.3% Uh, Increase to support this year's budget into next year. 3.3% in this economy and with uh, the the state of us at the moment is not an an exorbitant amount. In fact, it's less than it's been in many years. Um, But if you're only looking at the general fund, which is what Town uh, Meeting is going to be looking at, it looks more like a 5% because that's the increase to general fund spending, funding that comes from the tax base and 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 state aid and other sources. So that's sort of a, an overall picture of this is the cost of doing what we do right now. Um, again, this year's appropriations, $58 million to level service the general fund budget, which is basically take the exact staff we have, and that's what our budget did, did by the way. We took a snapshot on, I think it was November 5th and took the exact staff and rolled it forward and then looked at all the non-personnel uh, uh, costs and made tried to make assumptions as best we can with current inflation and so forth. Some of that's difficult, as we'll come to a little later. Utilities, for instance, are very hard to project right now. Um, but to, to basically level service our general fund appropriation is about $2 million, but then there's that extra million dollars of ARPA funding that we have to make up. And again, that... 978000 in ARPA funding is the actual cost next year of retaining the people that we have this year on ARPA. So it's not an allocation from the federal government that's some of it's for this and some of it's for that. It's just strictly the staff we have this year that are funded by ARPA carried into next year. These are the uh, the ARPA staff. These are the staff that are funded by ARPA currently. Uh, the preschool coordinator, um, you may have heard our preschool program is growing wildly in terms of children with special needs. Um, we have to, we'll talk more about that shortly. 504 Team Chair is a, a person who coordinates all the, uh, um, the work with students who are not uh, in special needs, but have, are covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And we have a lot of students who need accommodations under that. And this person is um, here to make sure that we follow all the right uh, guidelines and so forth. An elementary reading specialist a high school math support teacher um, we moved the kindergarten aids from 0.8 to full-time uh, using ARPA funds uh, that's something we've wanted to do for a long time they once were full-time they got cut back to part-time and budget cuts years ago if you think about it, when you, you know, if you have a, an aide in a kindergarten classroom, when are they most needed? The beginning of the day and the end of the day when you're getting kids in, boots off and boots on and so forth. And basically, if they're only a eight FTE, they're there one or the other, but not both, which is doesn't make sense. Um, we really needed those people full-time. Two part-time nurses, it goes without saying that our nursing staff is stretched as a result of the last few years. Um, Two preschool teachers and the three special education aides were actually included last year in ARPA funding um, by my predecessor, who was, I guess, also my successor. But that's a different story, um, because those were—they um, uh, needed to be filled. Those are special ed mandates. That was said at the time. Those were going to have to be rolled over, because there was no way to, to lose those those positions. And the board-certified behavior analysts (BCBAs) dealing with children with all sorts of needs. It is hard to say out loud that you can pick things out of here that we don't need. Um, This one you can look at online. (laughs) The the long and the short of it is based on last year, we looked at about a dozen different communities, or actually 18 I think it is, uh, different communities um, in terms of per pupil spending. uh, the state average for per-pupil spending is, is 19,000 uh, per student. These, of these ones here, uh, Brookline is 25, Wellesley's 24, Lexington's 21, down the list to Milton, which is at 16.8. So, so we're under the state average. Um, we're, uh, you know, about $2,200 per student under in state um, per-pupil spending. Per-pupil pul- per spending is, cal- is computed by Desi. They take the end of year report, which is our spending, anything we get from grants, health insurance that's paid by the town, debt service that's paid by the town, anything that has to do with schools is aggregated into one an amount and then divided by the number of uh, FTE students. So, in as much as the state is capable of doing anything apples to apples, this is as close as probably we're going to come to apples to apples comparison.
3: So, Glenn, just to reiterate, the 16,000
2: figure includes health insurance yes includes for health right? insurance right. for staff and right. so forth right. and, and and benefits? yes mm-hmm.
4: and one other question and, and anything
2: question. that anything that comes out of um, you know, the cost of the retirement fund retired teachers health insurance that gets charged on um, cherry sheets anything that is contributed into the system is built into this it's they're called the end of year reports you can see them on the desi website they're 95 pages of lovely spreadsheets per school. From the,
4: of the sheet we're 297 out of 397.
2: Right, out of out of the 397 districts in Massachusetts, our per pure, per pupil spending is 297th out of 397. Thank you. Um, how do we spend our money? 45 um, percent, the large one here, on instruction. That is regular education instruction. the large blue on the left, is special education instruction. So that's 73% right there. Um, Instructional services are things like aids, um, guidance counselors, professional development, all those different pieces of instructional services. Um, Policy and administration up at the um, top is 3%, facilities 7%. Technology is a weird one from the state's audit system. It shows 1%, but the state has a strange way of dealing with technology. A student computer is an instruction. A faculty computer is an instructional, uh, serv- is, sorry, instructional leadership. Um, so the little 1% in there is sort of network capacity and things like that, things that are across the, the state. So it's, it's an odd way of doing it, but I don't. I fill out the forms. I don't argue with the state on that. But in any case, the point of this is the vast majority of our budget is going to instruction. So that's the cost of doing nothing, basically. That's the cost of re- maintaining where we are. We've met with the various different departments. Um, they've given us lists and lists of things that they need. We've whittled them down. Um, you know, it's, it's already a large ask, but it's important that we say out loud the things that are really necessary. Um, and so we, we are looking at, you know, we've tried to whittle down to, you know, basic minimum, what is really necessary that going forward? What do we need? Um, and these are just the needs beyond that level of service. Um, I'm going to ask the Director of Pupil Personnel Services, um, Susan Maselli, to talk about the next couple slides just for a couple words on special education.
5: Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, right here, you can see just a snapshot of our special education students that we're currently supporting in the district. You can see um, at the end of year reports from the 21 20 to 21 year and 21 to 22 year, you can see the increases in supporting students across different disability categories. Um, most noteworthy is to take a look at our increases in students we're supporting with autism. Um, Families are moving to Milton and benefiting from the robust programs we provide, the New England Center Partnership. Currently, that number for this year is going to continue to grow. It's right now between 125 and 130. We have a few students in evaluation. As you look down the list, you can see our trends. We do have a decrease in our communication category, and you'll see that continue. That is a direct response to addressing our disproportionality in special education related to the over-identification of students in this subgroup. Um, You'll continue to see growth in our developmental delay category, speaking to our needs of our youngest students. We're qualifying more students for special education in the early years, uh, COVID related, developmental delay rated. That number is hovering in the 120 range right now and climbing. Um, As you look down, you'll notice in this year's numbers, our neurodiverse population is growing We're currently looking at numbers in the low 70s now. That's an area where we've continued to develop programming and supports. Mm -hmm. And the other category um, really to take a look at is our specific learning disability group. Those are kids that have explicit disabilities in the areas of learning, reading, writing, and math. And that number is going to be going up a little bit this year as well. It's right now it's hovering around 215. Here you see our two charts related to the work that the department has been focusing on related to our disproportionality work. We are again trying to address the communication subgroup and our discipline subgroup. While this graph is very small, the important information to take away here is the blue band across the top. The Department of Education requires that we have a risk ratio of less than three which means that our students in certain subgroups should not be more than three times more likely to be either communication or, or disciplined out due to their race. So these are things that are aligned with our pillar for equity and inclusion. And we really are working very thoughtfully on how we support kids to keep them in class and in school. Um, The reason you see that the risk ratio is pending from the last column is the department of ed did not calculate that number last year, but in my, conversations with them and looking at our data that's still an area where we are at great risk and we are going to be continuing to monitor that. Finally, this gives you a sense of our distribution of students that we're supporting across the district. I can tell you that our number will be showing a little higher this year as well. We are seeing increased enrollment at the preschool level. We have seen increased enrollment in our students who require supports outside of the district. This out of district number is also impacted by our space limitations in the district. We've talked a lot about the number of classroom spaces that we need and how we support all students. As our students grow through the programs, go from preschool into elementary, into middle, into high, we'll continue to need additional space to make sure that everyone gets the program that they need. Right now, our special ed number is, is approaching the 900 mark that said we have over 100 students in evaluation right now across the district so that number does tend to move day to day when we when the office of people personnel does our annual report we'll be able to give detailed numbers with all of this data for a year to date thank you
2: so in terms of um, needs here um, because of the growth in special education we have some current needs that uh, absolutely we have to deal with. We need an additional speech therapist and we need half-time OT and PT services. Um, These are required by IEPs. As the classes grow, um, I mean, it it may be that right now we're covering these services with contracted services, which is more expensive and not the way to do it. You want to have your own staff doing these things. So we are going to have to um, hire speech therapists and half-time OT and PT services. Um, one way or another Uh, those are going to have to be done it is more effective to hire them than to contract them out Um, going back to the uh, Susan's comments about the uh, autism spectrum in the preschool we are going to need an additional class at the college next fall for students on the autism spectrum they are uh, those classes are capped at small numbers they're capped at even smaller numbers because they're squeezed into classrooms that aren't full-size classrooms if they were in a full size classroom, you could have probably 12 or 13 students in the classroom, but in these classrooms they're in, which are sort of converted offices, conference rooms, and so forth, because we're, we're out of space, uh, you have a maximum of nine. The classes we have now are full. Um, we have to ha- open another class. Um, and that is a, a space issue just by itself. If we can't, uh, we're trying to find figure the space to put it in, frankly, because if, you've been in Cunningham and Collicott where these are uh, housed uh, spaces at more than a premium um, and especially given this last weekend where we had uh, a pipe burst so it's uh, even even more so Um, so this is a class we have to we have to fill we have to form Um, if we don't form it we'll be sending these students out of district which is not good for them more expensive for us it's again we'd have to do this we're going to One way or the other, we have to do this class. The additional teacher at Milton High School, as some of these students move up, our first group of students that we admitted years ago on the autism spectrum are now reaching Milton High School. We need people who are trained to deal with students on the autism spectrum, more than a general ed special educator. These are very specific trainings, um, and we have to have someone at the high school who is capable of dealing with that. So again, we have to do these. We don't do these. Students will be going out of district we will be paying for them one way or another. So these two slides in the world of special education aren't so much uh, need-to-haves as must-haves. Um, one way or the other, we're gonna do these. It might have to be at the expense of something else if it's not funded, but we have to do these things. Uh, they're just legal mandates. Um, other things that we would like to do um, in special education, we'd like to have uh, a classroom at, at the Tucker School for younger students who are academically challenged, to try to support them before they enter the realm of special education, um, and try to uh, correct a lot of learning de- uh, deficiencies that have happened to them at this point, um, that's something been on our uh, been on our plate for a while. But it's you know something we would we would really think is a is a priority, should we get funding for it, and the out of district coordinator. Um, Again, uh, there were 50-some students out of district. We have to have someone who goes around to all those sites, visits them, meets with the teachers, does the IEPs, so forth. Uh, right now, it's a 0.6 position. We have two part-time people who do it, 0.3 each. Um, it, due to caseload, um, that is likely going to have to move up to a, a full-time position. Um, you want to?
6: Good evening, everyone. Um, On this slide, what you'll see is our quality review and equity audit findings. Um, Some of you may remember we had our equity form a couple of weeks ago. We reviewed um, many slides, Um, but this slide in particular, um, if you look at the left-hand column, you'll see what um, these are the areas that um, were highlighted of concern around disproportionality, curriculum and instruction, and accountability. And on the right side, you'll see um, the recommendations um, that the firm um, had for the district specifically around disrupting disproportionality, what we needed to do around professional development and our data and equity goals. So um, Sue did a great job talking about our disproportionality and the the work that that's, that that's been happening in the district. Um, if you notice on the left hand side, we were um, disproportionate specifically um, with disabilities of so African American students. Um, this was also um, mentioned by Sue in regards to the communication. This is something that they've worked really hard at and those numbers are coming down. That, um, that was shown on the slide that um, she reviewed. Um, also, um, we were disproportionate in discipline and um, part of the work that has been done prior to my arrival um, with Sue was to hire um, Adina Schechter, our restorative practice coach. And um, that's also, um, we've seen a, a huge, 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 huge um, reduction in um, our discipline um, because of having that person on board. So that was something we were able to immediately do in regards to the findings. Um, The curriculum instruction, um, they all refer to um, the cultural relevance, uh, have been updated in some content areas. Um, We also noted that some of our students were still not taking advantage of our um, advanced placement classes. Um, The the biggest um, Hurdle I think we have is around professional development, which is recommended here. They talk about developing a comprehensive PD plan, um, making sure that we have embedded PD for our curriculum leaders, our building leaders, and our teachers um, throughout the district, um, and continue to revise um, our curriculum with an equity lens. Um, this is really um, the area that we've been trying to focus on this year. Um, but again, um, capacity has been a huge issue for us. Um, you know, the equity office is the office of one. Uh, myself and Adina have been trying to do this work, but um, this is really the area that we struggle with the most. Uh, we have a very comprehensive plan. We have, we have a strong roadmap now, um, but again, to meet some of the needs and the recommendations that were outlined, we will need to build capacity. Um, in regards to accountability, um, what was noted was that um, we were had a lacking in um, accountability in some areas, specifically around monitoring. and um, this is something that in our data analysis and goals, really making sure that um, recommendation was that student data um, inform all of our decisions. So we spent a lot of time this year looking at data, um, really making sure that our data is, impact, um, is, is aligning with our strategic plan. So um, this is the, the two areas that I think we're trying to focus on the most. And again, building that capacity um, is really going to help us uh, meet our targets and recommendations.
2: So in terms of building the capacity, um, one, what we were looking at was to have a, basically one more person in this office, an equity coach, and some stipends for one, uh, one person in each school to act as sort of the liaison to the schools um, to try to build some capacity here. Originally, this was a much larger ask, but it's been uh, cut down to sort of bare bones because there are, again, only so many things we can look at in a budget. Um, so, um, uh,
0: next slide. We've got Karen McDavid, uh, who's going to share some data about test results over time.
1: Yeah. Good
7: evening, everyone. And um, I'm certainly not the best person on this call to speak to this. Our math director, Brian Selig, is here as well. So I I don't I don't want to steal any of his thunder because he is the expert on all of this. But, um, you know, in my years here and I've been here a while, um, this is the first year that we've been able to benefit from math interventionists. at the elementary level. And I can tell you that without our Mr. Baldwin, I don't know what we would do. Um, He is servicing and working with children um, in ways that we've never had the ability to do because we just simply didn't have the staff in the interventionist capacity. So when you look at our data um, and yeah, there's a green circle around all those drops, right? All those negatives in every grade level. Um, but I encourage you to look you know, a little more carefully at the data and look at the 2019 and the drop to 2021. In every single grade level we dropped and in some grade levels we dropped significantly, um, but we know what happened in 2020, right? And we know what happened in 2021. Um, so what I also encourage folks to do is to look at the 21 to 22, because you'll see that we made gains. We are gaining back in every grade level. So while the picture, if you look only at that green circle, um, looks dismal, it's not. But we need more. We need more help. We need more support. We need more intervention. Um, we are making the gains, and that's thanks to you know the Herculean efforts of our educators. They work so hard every single day and we are making up for what was lost um, and what is unfinished, um, but we still have a ways to go. So, on the next slide is, um, I believe, the pitch for the need for an additional math interventionist. Um, and and Glenn can speak to that more. But before I turn it back over to Glenn, Brian, um, since you're the expert on all this, any anything to add there?
8: Uh, Thanks, Karen. You did a great job. I mean, I I think um, uh, that it is a situation where we are taking uh, intentional steps to address the impact of the pandemic on math, which all of the data and research that we have available to us nationally and locally uh, indicates was uh, most adversely affected for student learning uh, during that period of time. And I know that that's something I've spoken about uh, often Uh, in my appearances at at previous meetings. Um, But uh, I do wanna reiterate uh, what Karen uh, said about uh, the math interventionist that supports our Glover students, Mr. Baldwin. Uh, He's also uh, putting forward uh, the same efforts uh, for students at Tucker, and we have a second math interventionist who has been doing um, just as uh, Herculean an effort and impressive a job of uh, supporting our students of need at Colleycott and Cunningham since the beginning of the school year. Um, but their caseloads are um, oversubscribed. There are students that uh, we need to uh, turn away from receiving the intervention and, and we're currently only able to prioritize uh, students uh, whose data indicates that they have um, gaps uh, that go back at least one grade level. So a lot of the instruction done by our interventionists uh, relates to mm-hmm. skills and uh, concepts from a previous grade. Uh, and the ideal would be to expand uh, from a second, from two to a third interventionist at the elementary level, um, so that we could be sure that we're able to service students who need some on-grade-level reinforcement of um, content. And I hope I didn't take too much of that thunder, either from Karen or from Gwen as it relates to this ask.
2: That's fine. People are allowed to talk about numbers other than me. Um, (laughs) Thank you. We do need a third math interventionist. The two we have are grant funded. The grant funding does continue for next year, so they will still be here next year. It does drop off after that, so we'll be talking about that again. But we do need a third person, and this way we would at least have one permanently on our budget that we can carry forward, we have for years wanted to have some math intervention abilities. Um, In terms of other uh, levels at the middle school, one of the things we're looking at here is, if you look at sections of 25 or over at the middle school, um, notice in 2020, 2021, it's fairly low. That's because we had an additional four Staff members during the year. For uh, when we were doing hybrid learning, we brought more people on that year. Um, but you're looking at fair, fairly large numbers of classes, mainly in the exploratory classes that are 25 students or old uh, or above. Um, they vary a bit because if you're familiar with the middle school, some classes are sort of every other day, what we sometimes call semester classes. Some are every other day for half a year. So they're sort of like quarter classes. Well, if you teach one of those every, day for, every other day for half a year and you've got 25 students in each class, that's four sections as opposed to some other class, which is two sections. So the numbers are a, a, a little variable from uh, year to year, depending on which courses get oversubscribed. Um, in any case, there are a lot of larger classes, per, uh, primarily in the exploratory at the middle school, We'd like to add an exploratory teacher. Um, the uh, technology is the uh, one of the ones that, of course, most people want to get into. The difference between exploratory at the middle school and um, electives at the high school. Uh, electives, as they say, you know, as it sounds like you say, I'd like to take art. I'd like to take music. I'd like to take this. At the um, middle school it's more like we want to expose you to this we want to expose you to that we want to expose you to the other it's more of what do we have room for rather than what do you want um, so it, they are slightly different but in any case we need we have demand at the middle school for um, the, the two most pressing demands at the middle school are, are an extra exploratory teachers specifically in technology and um, an English language support teacher in the sixth grade again to correct students who are coming up who need extra ela support um, though we have we have extra math support in the sixth grade we don't have extra ela support in the sixth grade and at the high school um we um principal cahill came in with a list the most of, some of the list is at the bottom but the, what we took as the most uh pressing um need at the high school, is one of the more interesting uh, titles, business, career, tech. What's happened at the high school? This is the business department. This is economics, but it's also cooking. It's also fashion. Uh, fashion. It's basically a lot of things that were combi- used to be different departments that were combined together when we said we shouldn't have so many department heads. Let's put them all under one person. Um, so they're all under one person. Um, you have, <coughs> excuse me, 27 sections of, of, of the 50 are over 25 students, that's actually misleading because this includes, um, those 50 sections include cooking, wood shop and auto shop, which are capped under 25 students by OSHA regulations. So it's more like 27 out of about 40 sections that are um, over enrolled in this, in this particular um, department. So, um, As far as the high school goes, that was the most significant need. And then our final, um, in terms of system-wide technology, we have a director of technology and three staff. For 5,000 plus pieces of equipment in six six schools, Um, we had more people in this department when I joined the school committee in 2003 than we have now. Um, and I would dare say most people realize things have changed a bit in 20 years. Um, so this has been a pressing need for quite a while to get another person into this department. Um, as I say, if it wasn't for a class at the high school who uh, are, do a fabulous job at repairing Chromebooks and putting screens back on and putting uh, keys back into them, we would be sunk. Um, there's a, there's a, gr- a group at the high school who's just, or uh, have, have saved us by doing this. Um, oops, sorry. So, that's us. I mean, uh, in terms of where we are, um, it's, it's about a $3 million ask. All the other things we're talking about are another million dollar ask. $4 million is a huge ask, we know. but. If you have to look at you know we don't do anyone favors by saying we don't need anything more um, we need to let people know what the what the the needs of the district are these are the needs of the district this is what we're going forward with um and we will see what happens when we hit budget time at the town it's still too early the governor's budget isn't out yet we don't know what state aid is going to look like we don't know what a lot of things are going to look like yet we are meeting with The select boards finance subcommittee we're meeting with the town administrator um, and we are um, going forward and as as we get closer and closer to town meeting in may we will know more and the town will craft a budget and it it will be what it will be Um, but this is this is our budget request to put into that mixture And so at that point, um, I'll turn this off so people at home can see us.
0: Okay, great. Thank (laughs) you you very much, Dr. Pavlicek. Um, So at this point, now we can see everyone. Hi. (laughs) Um, uh, Now we'd like to open it up um, so if there are people either online or in person who would like to speak. um, uh, Stephanie O'Keefe is going to keep an eye on... uh, those who are online and if, um, if we have any hands raised um, we can recognize them uh, or if we have someone in person who would like to speak I see one hand in person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we'll bring to be online
5: first yeah
0: uh-huh <laughs> sounds good
5: so Jill Clark okay.
0: so we'll promote Jill Clark thank you Um, one sec we've got somebody coming up online but thank you <laughs> yep. she should be up. Uh-huh. hi Jill. are you there
9: i am good evening
0: great hi good evening
9: um thanks my name is Jill clark i live at 26 harold street i um, am a town meeting member in precinct four and a member of the paris site council um, I have a question for Dr. Pavlachek when he was talking about the, um, after you sort of got through the, the the basic needs for a level budget and then moved on to um, some of the requests, there was um, sort of a, a, a euphemistic comment of, you know, the, the school building leaders bring their requests and we whittle them down. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that process looks like, um, how sort of the requests from, from principals and other school leaders come to be the budget that you've just shared with
2: us sure it's a it's a couple layered process Uh, initially the school uh, the school committee's finance subcommittee invites principals in to talk to um to talk to them and present what they feel their needs are the principals are working with their site councils to decide what's necessary for their building they come in they meet with the school uh the finance subcommittee of the school committee present their various requests. Um, so that took place over a series of meetings in October to early November. At that point, the school committee, with input from the administration, has to look at it and say, well, what of these are sort of the most pressing needs? What ones should we be, you know, because always when you ask what people need, you get a very long list. Um, so you have to you have to balance reasonable, you know, balance the fact they're all needs with what are the most pressing needs. And so, um, this the list you have here is with some input from uh, the school administration as to what we thought were the most pressing needs it's the school committee's uh, school committee finance subcommittee recommendation to the school committee so it's a it's a process of a few few layers um, from site council to principal this subcommittee to administration and to the school committee thank you
9: that's helpful and um, I see Principal McDavid chuckling as as well, you know, it, because I think, it, you know, it's reasonable, right? I think the schools do have um, extraordinary needs and, and the principals have a really good sense of what it is that their school communities need. And and as a, um, a member of the Peer Society Council, I have only a small insight into that. But I just wanted to raise that question um, to point out that as astonishing as that bottom line number is, I think it's important to remember that it's already a conservative estimate. There are already things that principals need uh, in their schools that haven't even made it into to this budget, um, and everyone is, you know, I know they're all doing their best to kind of tighten their budgets and and um, get to where they need to be. But there, there, there are still unmet needs that that won't be met even if we um, we fund this budget and um so i you know i i commend you for getting this far and for making difficult choices that you've made um and know that there's a lot we need to do to uh, fund our schools appropriately thank you thank
0: you um
10: hi i'm vanessa foster i live at 1325 canton F. I had a question sort of a clarifying question on what you said at the end glenn when you said you know other things come into play sort of after town meeting like the state funding we don't necessarily know if it comes into play yet or something and i'm just wondering if so if we're if this budget comes before town meeting this is my first year as a town meeting member so that's why i'm asking and we approve this budget and then funding you know the state decides to put to sort of help um districts bridge the gap between the ARPA funding that used to be and is not anymore, or are there is, is there a, does, do we, we don't then have to get more, right? Like if, if we say, yes, we want to take this money from the general fund, but then the uh, state gives us some money, then we don't have to take all that money. Is that correct? or Well,
2: um, what happens is we, we never know completely the state budget by Maytown meeting because we'll know the, um, the governor's budget. We generally know where the various houses, where those, the, uh, the House and the Senate are going with it. We generally have a good idea on what state aid is. And we go into town meeting with the best estimate of what state aid is. And that's what puts the budget together and uh, the Warrant Committee will approve the uh, articles that based on that would give a balanced okay. budget. Okay. If there is change afterwards, and there sometimes has been, you know, there have been sometimes when state aid has come in higher than we expected and so forth. Basically, it sits with the town. Um, and at a subsequent town meeting, they could appropriate it if they chose to, or, but it doesn't automatically go anywhere except, it, you know, if, they, if the state gives it to the town, the town has it. But town meeting gives the authority to spend, it doesn't give the authority to collect. Col- the collections come in so um, yeah so it, it, there could be there have been in the past uh, you know i can this think year, of times year, fall, fall town meetings year, yeah. where we've uh, allocated more money because the uh the budget came in higher but generally it may town meeting, we have a decent expectation and
3: this year we did have a, 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 a an amount of money that came in after town meeting that we just heard about in the fall but because The recommendation from the town administrator was to put that money, not to spend it on budgets, but to put it in a reserve because we were anticipating that utility costs this year were going to be significantly higher for both the schools and the town. So we kind of kept that in in reserve for those needs. Great.
11: Hi, I'm Nora Harrington, uh, 10 Standish Road. I have a daughter at Tucker uh, and a son out of District. Um, so, Glenn, how many kids do we have in, our, in the system, you know, all together in Milton?
2: 4,350 something.
11: 4,000, yeah. And, um, and the state average for spending is about 22,000, did you say, per child?
2: Uh, I'd have to go back and look. I think it's less. I think it's 19 and change.
11: Okay. 19 and change. So we're about... I just was doing some quick math because the numbers are sort of astonishing. (laughs) So we're about, you know, at least around 3,000 below the state average. And we have about 4,000 kids. So... um, 300 below
2: the state average. Oh no, 3,000. 3,000 per student below
11: the state average. So you multiply that out and that comes to $12 million. So when we, you know, everybody in town is constantly struggling over why don't we have this, why don't we have that, why don't we have more of this, you know, we need more of this at the elementary level, we need more of this, and it's like, of course we do, right, of course we do. And um, it just astonishes me, really, seeing the initiatives and the numbers, what Milton, what the Milton Public Schools and the teachers and the administration managed to do with the budget that we have. I mean, it's fairly astonishing that if we were even at the state average, we would have $12 million more to play with. And unfortunately, we live in a town that has very few, you know, stores and restaurants and very little commercial base. It's all born on the backs of all of us, of the homeowners. And it's, you know, we, we all, it's a, ta- it's a burden, a tax mm-hmm. burden. So um, I guess I just wanted to point out because, you know, I know... As the budget goes on, and when it gets to town meeting, and there'll be all sorts of huzzah blah about, you know, well, you spend too much money on this, and you spend too much money on that, and you spend too much money, and the, you know what I see is we just don't have enough money. You know, we are short twelve million dollars compared to just the average town in Massachusetts. Never mind the really high performing ones. So, thank you all for your work and for doing your best to like, you know. Get blood from a stone, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> nice, thank, thank you. Thank you. Colleen <laughs>
12: had her hand up, and then, then the gentleman, and then the woman. Sure. Thank you. Hand here. Yeah, I'm, I'll just, I'm not going to read anything today, guys. <laughs> um, Colleen McCarthy, town meeting member, uh, precinct four. I live in Gulliver. I have three children um, in Cunningham. Go Cougars. Um, just a, just a, more of a clarifying question, so um. Do we feel like we're adding enough intervention? And, and I'm not I'm not saying this because, and I give you guys a ton of credit, this is incredible amount of work that you've done. Um, you know, we're asking for a third, do we need a fourth and a fifth? And I listened to Warrant um, meeting, and even just reading, right, early intervention, the intensive learning classroom at Tucker sounds like an incredible um, program. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like with the three teachers, is that,
2: I think uh, Suma would be the best to talk to that.
5: Sure. So, as as most people know, um, in Milton, each of our buildings houses some of our specialized programs. The autism programs at Collicott, our collaborative program, and our preschools are at Cunningham, and um, Principal McDavid hosts four programs in her building. Therapeutic program that the neurodiverse language-based, the SLD language-based, and our co strand. So Principal um, principal DeRoche and I have been talking about the needs of the Tucker community and trying to Um, build on our model of equity. We also know that many of the students who are affected by our disproportionality are from the Tucker neighborhood. So the intensive learning model program proposal would allow us to have a co-taught classroom at every level in that school so that students from that community would be able to get intensive early intervening services in general and special ed, and hopefully be able to stay as part of their neighborhood building. It also will continue to provide a more equitable distribution of all of the special ed resources across the
12: district. Awesome. Awesome. Thank Thanks Sue. Um so is that is that before children is that before children reach IEPs, like before special education, they go on IEPs?
5: So one of the magical things about classrooms in which you have a general and a special education teacher is that all students benefit on both sides. Got it. General students have access to special ed teachers and, and and special ed teachers, special ed students have access to general ed teachers all day. So the model benefits all of the students in the classrooms.
12: Yeah, and thanks to my my, um, my son is a peer in one of those classrooms. And it's it's an amazing opportunity for both. I think from, you know, if you're thinking about inclusion, I 100% think it's amazing. Um, So I think with that being said, I just, you know, I think my concern, um, and I think many in the community um, certainly don't wanna speak, but have we even seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of learning loss coming out of COVID? And, you know, it seems like from my perspective, it's almost like, are we asking for enough here? And I listened to Warren um, and I, forgive me, I don't remember the woman's name, but she actually asked a really, I thought, smart question around are we thinking about this globally and I know that we're looking at this in the next year but are we going to be in this position where we're going to the, the, the taxpayers and saying hey guys we need you know four more interventionists because all of a sudden we have this data so um, I think that's all I'm getting at I just you know I think my concern is um, you know we're going to be doing this year over year and I appreciate all the work that you're doing but there's part of me that wonders if we're, we're asking for enough. Um, so thank you uh, for the work that you've done. Um, I just wanted to, to ask a couple of questions. The intensive learning classroom sounds awesome. Um, I know another district, my niece and nephew are in a district that offers that across the district and in every school they're getting pullouts for the slight slippage of, of reading and math and it's, it's an amazing program. So maybe one day we can have it in all of our schools mm-hmm. so just a thought thank you guys
2: thank you Do you want to see if brian wants to answer the question on interventionists
0: yeah um brian selig would sure, you like yeah.
8: to mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so that i i would feel irresponsible to say no we definitely cannot put to use yet another fourth math interventionist across our elementary schools but um i think in reality we have to recognize that we're just about six months into having or six months ago we had zero math interventionists so um i do think the prudent responsible thing is to um see what impact and we were already collecting uh data um on the effect of the intervention services uh in our four elementary schools from the first half of the year but um to see uh, how our MCAS data looks uh, compared to last year and the year before um, i hope and am and, and, um, optimistic that we're seeing uh, or will see a continued trend in the right direction as far as getting back closer to where our performance levels were uh, before the pandemic um, and i think that it's also important to just acknowledge that um, intervention is one way for us to address um additional um math instruction but there are other ways as well and we're rolling uh we've rolled out a uh, new tier one uh, instructional materials for math uh really from pre-k through grade five as well as at milton high school this year Um, and we want to be sure not to neglect or overlook the significant importance and impact of high-quality instruction alongside high-quality instructional materials and the uh, as uh, my colleague uh, Sue said as it pertained to co-taught inclusion settings the same is very much true we can't do more impact on student learning than to be sure that we have Uh, the best possible tier one instruction happening in our classroom. So uh, the intervention model is definitely one that is needed that I'm very happy to uh, hear is getting the attention that it is tonight and has been getting. Um, And we we absolutely need to continue to look at uh, whether we are able to meet the needs based on the staffing we have in that area. Uh, but it's not the only way that we can impact positively the uh, learning that's happening in our math classrooms, uh, either across the district or in our elementary schools.
0: Thank you, Brian.
13: Thank you, I'll I'll keep my remarks short. My name's Ben Zoll, I'm a Milton dad, and uh, I've got four kids, we live on 1651 Canton Ave. Uh, We've got four kids, you guys have 4,000 kids, um, and we spend a lot of time just trying to figure out the needs of our four kids, so I just wanna start by saying thank you all so much, uh, the school committee and our educators for what you do for our kids. Uh, I'm here today to support uh, the budget that's been put forward, and I just wanna say specifically uh, call out, um, and it's been said earlier, so I don't want to belabor the point, but the effects of COVID on the kids uh, as they are now, um, I'm so delighted to see the emphasis on the social and emotional learning on the, um, on the special education front, on the diversity, equity, and inclusion work. We know that COVID impacted everyone, and we know that it impacted everyone differently, and I think it's uh, really remarkable how much thought has gone into this process. Um, and I think, to my, I, if I have to ask a question, which I, I feel like you do when you come to the microphone, um, <laughs> uh, to, to sort of echo an earlier point, I wouldn't mind seeing two versions of this budget, one where we see even more needs that the schools have. Um, I totally appreciate the need to kind of whittle things down and I also appreciate your efforts to try to make things more palatable for the Milton taxpayers. Um, but I would really love to see um, kind of a wish list a bit more uh, from the educators, I think that would be uh, really, uh, I think, informative to see what we really could have if we had those extra dollars for our students. Do we need a broader tax base to support this? We absolutely do. Um, it's, it's, uh, But we cannot mortgage our kids' futures. Um, this, They are the most important asset that we have as a town, and, and we are so grateful to have you all uh, in the positions that you're in and advocating for our kids the way that you do. So thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Can I, I just want to respond to the last two speakers, including yourself that you know typically in Milton we do need I mean I think we, we know I, as a school committee member, I can say I don't think we're asking for enough, but the reality of our tax base is what we are dealing with. Uh, this town typically needs to have an operating override. and typically in the past, you know, the financial people will say to you, the administrators will say, Every three to four years, Milton needs an operating override. We haven't had one in six years, probably because we had the federal funding through ARPA and the other funds that we got from Norfolk County to help us get through the last couple of years. If we hadn't had them, we would have needed an override. You know, there is some discussion. Um, you know, we presented what we called our needs-based budget, and um, we did whittle it down. If we went back to the drawing board, we could tell you, you know that we need these many more positions we would add them to the total however you know um, the other t- town departments brought and operate they just had a regular over they just brought their needs-based budget just recently to the town administrator and they came up with wanting some positions the library asked for some positions police the fire um, DPW uh, the health department I'm probably missing some others that did so Right. If you were, listen to the Warren Committee last night, um, the town administrator said that if we looked at everyone's need-based budget, we are in, right now $6 million short of what we would need for everything, all departments. So again, that's a huge number. But again, I, I think that sometimes when we are planning for an override, if we do go ahead with an operating override, we do have to think about how can we make this amount last us for a while so we don't get right back into uh, difficulty the following year. So, But we don't make that decision of the override. The override has to be discussed um, by the select board, and they have to put it on the ballot, and the town meeting has to discuss it and vote on it. And so then, after they do that, you will see on a town meeting uh, warrant, you'll see what they call a contingent budget and a non-contingent budget. And the contingent budget would be all the request that the town is making if we were to pass an operating override. So in fact, there are two separate budgets and those kind of warrants that you'll, you would see if you were a town meeting member um, to voting, just, yeah, uh, one that if the o- uh, override fails, then this is what the, this right. is what the budget's going to look like, but if the override passes, then we will be able to add these additional positions into the departments across the town.
4: But just to add to what Betty shared with you, it goes back to what kind of town do we wanna be? You know, we're presenting a, a, a narrowed needs-based budget, but I would love to have the discussion if we were gonna say, if, where is Milton gonna be in five years? And then talk about money. I think we'd have a much better town than we see today, but it's having the courage as a community to say, that's the discussion that needs to be had and having the patience to see it through.
14: I'm Regina Campbell Malone. Uh, I live at 177 Truro Lane. Uh, and like the previous speaker, I do want to um, thank you all um, for your hard work and dedication to uh, the children of this town. Uh, I also want to congratulate the children of this town who take an interest in and are keeping our Chromebooks afloat. I had no idea that was going <laughs> on. Um, so thank you for, for the cost savings there and for increasing your skills. Um, I. And like the previous speaker, I too would like to see another sort of run at the budget in terms of what would we legally be required to spend by sending students out of district that we can't serve here? What are the additional costs of not approving this budget, right? Um, and and I, think, I think that would be in stark contrast and, and would cost far more than what the asks are here and I think the, the last thing I'd like to say before asking a question is that the math interventionists and the data that, um, that have been presented um, by Karen McDavitt, I think, and Brian Sealand have shown the tremendous increase uh, in, in learning in math based on having the two interventionists that we have now. Uh, the, the, the idea that we could have a third and see even more increases Um, just warms my heart and I think should speak to all of those who are in this with an eye on excellence for all, right? This is a a position that will directly impact the math scores um, that we are evaluating our kids based on. And so, uh, and the same thing with the, the SPED classroom as well, improving, uh, the lives and education of these children directly and in measurable ways is, is the goal. And so if excellence for all is what you, you speak to, I think this budget addresses those, those concerns, uses quantitative metrics um, and formative assessments to prove that it addresses those. Um, and uh, I, I think you, you can't have everything, but this, this gives us a, a great shot at getting what our children need so thank you for putting that together and my my only question um, would be you know if if there was one more thing that you could have or that you could offer for our kids in this budget what might that be like what was on the chopping block I'm just curious yeah, yeah you get one you get
4: one can we each take it? Yes, <laughs> please, dream big.
10: Thank you. Thank you.
5: that <laughs> 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 Just a rhetorical. <laughs> 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 well, I just want to point it, we have about 15 minutes
15: left, so <laughs> you can't
0: eat him. Hey. <laughs> 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 after having gone through this uh, whittling down process where we are it's hard to to pick something that didn't make the list Mm -hmm. Um, I think there there's plenty and not just one that I think we would all include but I but I would like to comment on on your um, comments about uh, the data that we're using and and I think that that is something that we're all very proud of that has really grown in the last couple of years and in, in really being able to follow the data very closely on how our students are doing. And so those charts like you saw tonight that really demonstrate the progress um, is, is just so reinforcing. And, and earlier this year, we had uh, results for the um, formative assessments sort of in the first half of the year that really showed growth. And it was, it was just really very encouraging, and it, it helps our staff, uh, you know, know what they need to do, what they need to work on for students, and, and really addresses uh, the, the range of needs that we're seeing every day. So I think that's something that we're, we're all very proud of. Regina, I
3: would vote for a new building and been watching all that and data and meeting and we need a new building now mm-hmm. unfortunately we can't get it now but we need to get moving quickly so we can get it as soon as possible so
4: and their district-wide needs each individual school has something very unique to its setting that i could lobby for each one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I said any one of them, it would look really bad. But yeah. <laughs> in, all, in all honesty, I think to Ms. Harrington's point, there really is probably at least $3 million worth of stuff that I could rattle off in about 15 minutes. Yes. Is it appropriate for right now? Probably not, but there's always next year. <laughs> we'll see what we get on the list.
16: evening my name is Paul Warren. I'm a appreciate uh, day to town meeting member and uh, our kids and our grandkids have gone through the Milton schools Tucker the High School Curry etc but before I start I'm cutting it short because uh, some of my questions were answered Glenn I want to thank you and you Betty for the work that uh, you've done to put this uh, together um, I'd like to help you uh, get what you want, but uh, I'm gonna give you some feedback as to what I've been getting from the man out in the street, the lady out in the street, okay? Um, As far as the school department and the police department, uh, do the police assist you or do they ignore you?
2: Just a general statement. We have two, School resource officers, okay, um, who work with us day to day. One is on the police payroll. One we actually reimburse them for. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very good working relationship with the Milton police. Okay. Um, one of our resource officers, in fact, not too, not too long ago, a graduate of Milton High School, and so mm-hmm. um, they have a, a good relationship with the students there. And we, you know, we you hear a lot about school resource officers in different situations. I have to say our our, um, experience has been good. Um, They're down in the cafeteria sitting with them at lunchtime. We find out things are going to happen generally before they do. (laughs) Good.
16: And as far as racial problems in the Milton school system, do they exist? Do we have problems like, uh, I was a product of uh, the Boston schools. you know, you had a duck and bob and weave, et cetera. Do we have that?
4: Yes, we actually we do have presented that. it
16: and do at we the for forum. And then
4: we also were cited by, by DESE, which is what um, Susan Maselli shared. So we're being flagged by our own students and the state for our challenges around race.
16: Okay, now I know there was, and I'm just, again, talking generalities from what I'm hearing out the street. There was some kind of an issue it was instigated in the schools earlier uh, in, before the school season ended last year. Is that correct? Has there been any more of that The parents ought to be concerned about safety in the schools?
4: I don't know what the incident is. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. Maybe it was... Uh, oh, oh, oh,
3: but
4: that's race. That's no, it wasn't. Were you talking about what happened at Pierce with the yes, bullets? Yes, I am.
16: I didn't know that was a race issue, but yeah, maybe. exactly. Well, good. So it really wasn't that much, if it's mm. not a, a mm. big uh, matter of interest here. Mm. Mm. Now, What
1: What do you mean? I mean, it was an it was a
16: it was a concerning incident. But it So, so I don't want to
1: take away from that. It's just more of I think though what we're saying it wasn't a
16: race racially based okay. incident. Well, yeah. Getting back to what I had said about yeah. the police, was there any uh, uh, prosecution? Pursued by the uh, school department of any of the parties involved, did the police refuse to uh, pursue it if it was the situation?
2: I wasn't here last spring, so I'm not going to say one thing. I will, I will say the prosecution is determined by by the district attorney. It's not determined by the police or the school department. They may make an arrest, but uh, prosecution is okay. In other words, above I, ours. I, we we when something happens, we refer our school resource officers to look right. into it. And that's pretty much the end of our exposure there. Mr. So Paul, the I think maybe
3: if you spoke to Chief King, he could answer that oh, <laughs> question
16: about what the process is. You know, But it's, it's, it's the chief, uh, you know, I get along with the police as everybody does. We have an outstanding police department. But what we want to confirm for the people out here that are paying the taxes is that we don't have those kind of problems in the Milton school system. So as a general statement, we do not have problems like that. Is that correct?
1: Like, uh, what are you talking I don't about? Know. about problems? i don't know. problems. But, yes, we do. But we but do. Racial problems, we do. We do. Problems, yeah. we do. Yeah. So we that, there was data that was presented last just two weeks ago that showed us, in terms of our young, our students, and how they are feeling and how they are experiencing, right? So, in terms of our, our students of color, right, okay. they, so they are feeling. They're not all feeling a sense of belonging in the schools or safe in the schools. So, we do have issues in our schools that we need to address. Now, they don't necessarily, you know, you're making sort of this correlation between sort of an incident of safety um, that occurred at Pierce with a race based incident. Mm -hmm. So, I would like to separate those two because, you know, they're not one in the same.
16: Well, see, the thing is that the parents out here that don't know about these incidents and the taxpayers that don't know about these incidents are, are wondering, is there, a, is there a real concern? Yeah. Well,
4: there well, is I, a real
16: concern. Well, there's a concern of the people that are here and the people that are pushing for a certain agenda, but overall, the town doesn't feel that way. So yeah, say, 25 so say, of feels so say
1: more th- about that. I would love to have you say more about what you mean by
16: that. The, the town very much feels safe living in this community. Okay, and who who is who constitutes the town? The people that live in it. it-
1: well. Yeah, right, correct, correct, but who are you talking about, right? Because you're you're saying just generalities here, but
16: really, who who are we talking about? We're talking about people that live in the town. Right. They continue to live here, and other people continue to want to get into this town if they can afford it for what the town has to offer. So
1: if I sort of push a little bit more and think about the data that we saw two weeks ago, right? And the students that were surveyed, they are town residents and they are saying that they are not feeling safe. How many? A sense of belonging. 25%. 25%. How many How many so percent? it was, I don't have the N in front of me, unfortunately, right in this moment, and I don't want to misquote. But I just want to say, right, if we have 25%, that means one in four. Yeah, but that's, we
7: have 11.7% of brown and black kids. So that was, yes, yes it was, and in high school. So okay. Excuse me. Excuse we we me. can't have we Maybe. can't have
0: speaking from yeah. the back of the room because people who are watching well, can't let me, hear you. Uh,
16: <coughs> <coughs> let, many minutes. Let, me, let me finish my time. Okay? Thank you. We've got 4,000 plus students in this uh, in the school system. Are you telling us that 25 percent of our students feel bullied, intimidated because of uh, because they wear glasses, or they're black, or they're brown, or they're orient, whatever? Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, so yeah, the data says, excuse me, excuse me. No, no, I, not, no I didn't excuse say me. that. I, you you me. are telling us Based that 25% of our 4,000 plus student body it's it's are not. feeling intimidated and concerned because they wear glasses. They're black, they're brown. Excuse me, Mr. Vaughn? Mr. Vaughn? Oh, oh, excuse oh, me. Excuse me. Sh- oh, right, Scand- hey, wait for your turn. Wait for your Mr. turn.
4: Mr. Vaughn? The oh, Mr. Vaughn wait has for the floor. Your turn. Okay. Thank Thank you Mr. Vaughn, Thank you. Mr. Vaughn, in response you to your that, question, okay, hold Mr. On. Vaughn
16: has the floor.
4: <laughs> Thank you,
9: doctor. Now, Mr. getting Vaughn,
4: back to what I asked. It wasn't 4,000 students. That data was reported at the high school level. 25% of students said they felt bullied because of their race, and 19% of LGBTQ+ students said... They felt bullied because Excuse of- me.
16: Do we have to have a police officer <laughs> come down right here and remove you from uh, the right of water? Give me an opportunity to have my set. And then you can say, okay? Thank you. I've lived in this town for 55 years. I deserve a little Let's respect. Go, I'm 82 years of age. <laughs> I'm a grandfather. I'm a taxpayer. And I'm, I'm shocked at what's going on in the school department. Absolutely, absolutely shocked, you are, I'm trying to keep my thoughts uh, respectful. And Mr. Vaughn? Now, now we have a, Doctor, you answered one of the questions, Techn, one of mine anyway. Technology, there's a 65,000 plus amount that is looked for technology. <clears throat> Fine, but then you got $167,000 for uh, an equity program. Come on. Why? Really, why? Is there any amount of dollars uh, appropriated for the kids to come out of two parent homes that do things a certain way that has proven to be successful? No, everybody's barbing and weaving, ducking. It's wrong what the school system is doing. It's wrong with this equity. Young lady, you made a comment that we'll see in five years that things change. Do you wanna change the whole uh, structure of the town where we start bringing in industry to make up what the taxpayer is gonna be paying? Who makes up this town? You got a lot of elderly out here that are going to the food pantry. And we're talking about, you know, Come on, it's not right. It really isn't. But again, thank you for giving me the two. Thank you, Mr. Vaughn. So we had a, a woman in the cut the club, right, That's
11: right. Right. That's Who else would like to speak because we have about six we'll
15: minutes. Break
3: left. Up <laughs>
15: I'll and go man, for it. Be next. Right next. Oh my gosh! Hi, uh, committee and district leaders. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. My name is Luisa Lyons, and our family has two kids in the elementary school and one in the high school. Um, we are Latinx identifying people of color, very similar to what the previous speaker spoke of. So I can, you know, share my experience. Uh, My husband and I have both been teachers before, both here and internationally. And we come from a family of educators. What we have here is pretty amazing, let me just tell you. Uh, Our family is so grateful for all of the hard work that you do in the district. My kids don't currently use special ed programs yet, but we're very supportive of using dollars to support special ed kids. Uh, Thank you for prioritizing those needs. We hope that all kids thrive. We have no kids in the middle school, yet we're elated that a lot of the budget ask is going for peers. We're very happy with our elementary experience. Mrs. McDavid has been amazing, as has the rest of her team. We constantly have chances to be in the classroom. We constantly have chances to speak with our principal. She replies right away, and the teachers do as well. So we have access and a lot of information coming at us every single week, so I appreciate that. Some kids. Say some people say like many in the room that kids will leave but clearly the data you have shared shows the opposite of that I commend you and the district for garnering the resources and the grants for SEL per, for personalized learning that is very very impressive and appreciated you're beyond bright and very experienced and the fact that you were elected tells me that many or the majority of the families in town support your work Our family and many other families, unlike what you hear in these meetings sometimes, trust your work, and we're grateful that you and the committee have taken on these unpaid roles in service of our children. We're grateful for the DEI, SEL, ELA, and special need investments made. We reviewed the budget at home today, and the DEI ask was 0.22% of the extra money asked for. Two, 0.22, not even 1%. I feel like that is beyond appropriate. As taxpayers, homeowners, our family continues to support the budget you have laid out. And we're happy to make this contribution, not just for our kids, but for all the kids in town. So thank you for all of the work you do. And it's just beyond me that you take on so much harassment all the time. And just so you know, although it is often said by a lot of people in this room here that they speak for the whole community, it is just simply not true. So the numbers don't show that. Thank you so much for all of your work. Thank you. Nice one
17: to end. I think this could be
12: our last speaker
0: at E3.
17: Great, thank you. Hi, um, my name is Janet Faron, 71 Central Avenue. And uh, my son, uh, who's now older, he was a um, graduate of the uh, Glover School. Um, he was also a student. Um, A child that was adopted from India, my husband's Indian. And I do have to say that back um, then he did experience bullying because of skin color. And I'm uh, very well aware of the amount of um, issues that that go on in the schools, um, students feeling unsafe. My background is education. I was an administrator in Boston for 33 years dealing with students of color, special education, and um, I currently work for Curry College. I've worked in the Milton schools observing student teachers as well as Needham, Canton, surrounding areas. So um, I wanted to say a couple of things. I was really surprised to hear how low our funding is for a town of what Milton considers itself, and I think it's super short-sighted when People are buying homes, they're looking at the figures, their real estate values. So I think if people are objecting to paying taxes, they're gonna lose out when people are choosing communities that fully fund education. I also wanted to say that um, one of the things that I think people who aren't in the schools or people who are looking at things um, when we're talking about money for the different things like SEL, equity, it's not it's not separated. If you have students coming into school that don't feel safe, no amount of instructional coaching or technology is going to help them achieve if they are in the classroom worried that something is going to hit them from behind or someone's going to call them a name. So by, Putting in the initiatives, um, you know, so many of us through the pandemic, people were saying, "Get the kids back in school for their mental health." There, there definitely was that disconnect when they were out. So what we we really need to even more focus on the, some of those initiatives that we're hearing about, so that all the students feel welcomed, included, a sense of belonging, and safety, so that they can then focus on the academics in front of them. And we're not talking about the money goes to one group or one skin color. It's everyone. If you have initiatives in the school that focus on belonging, that focus on safety, there's kids of all races that may feel awkward and feel unincluded. It, it's, you know, people I think have put it in such divisive compartments. So all these initiatives that we're talking about will all lead to academic achievement. It's not a separate funding. Thank you. Thank,
12: Thank, you. You. Thank, you. Thank
0: you. Very good, well I, that concludes our, our forum this evening. Thank you all so much for coming out and uh, stay tuned as this our budget makes its way uh, towards town meeting and uh, we appreciate your comments. and your support. Thank you all. Have a, have a good evening. Thank you all for joining us online. <laughs> Bye-bye.